All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is back. 2023 flag hunting is back for season three, technically, of our uh, of our show here. I guess really only season one only had, I think, seven episodes, but I can officially put season three on Apple, Apple and Spotify uh, when loading these new episodes. Hope you guys ever listened to the two off-season episodes. Um, they were a blast. The NASCAR one with, you know, obviously all the friends of the pod, Phil, Derek, Rory, Mark, um, and then we had Elliot join as well. And then uh, for the golf, we had uh, the Model Mediac. We had Byron. Um, if you haven't listened to those yet, go back and listen. I mean, they're long, but they're great listens. Um, well worth it for your off-season coverage. But with that being said, Ian, golf is back. 2023 is kicking off. To, I mean, I guess it already kicked off, but this is the official kind of kickoff of the season. And we're yeah. headed to Hawaii. So how are you feeling? Yeah, man, I feel good. I think season three might <laughs> I don't think we're quite in season three. It's it's a bit weird because we started obviously golf and NASCAR have different seasons. So we started we basically done one full year plus another swing season of golf. So whereas in NASCAR, we kind of did the playoffs, I feel like, uh, because we started in September when golf season or when the actual traditional PG tour season starts, and then um we covered a full NASCAR season. So I think we're a little bit younger than, than three uh, seasons deep right now, but yeah, certainly 2023, um, at least by year, will be bookmarked uh, as the third calendar year we, we've kind of covered here. And yeah, I mean, we had, a, we had a nice little break there. Like you said, a lot of cool off-season content, I think, coming out from a lot of people. Um, I've really been enjoying what people have come up with, both in the golf space and the NASCAR space, to kind of kill time. Luckily for us in golf, we, uh, we don't have to sit on our hands near as much as y'all do because y'all have another month or so. Uh, until the class of the Coliseum and then Daytona just a couple weeks after that. So looking forward to it, man. I, I woke up Monday morning and um, it, it felt like I was kind of right in the world. I had like three, four weeks, which <laughs> says maybe something about my own, like <laughs> how how um, how attached I am to this kind of stuff. But yeah, it, it felt good breaking out an odds board and, you know, refreshing books for odds. Uh, yeah, everything felt kind of right in the world there. So um, we got another 11 months. Um, I won't have to deal with the issues I had this last December uh, for until next December. Uh, golf is, is good like that. You know, we have friends that cover NAS or have friends that cover baseball uh, and football and whatnot. And, you know, their off seasons are a lot longer than what I have to deal with. So all in all, happy to be back. Uh, it was a perfect little break. Um, and yeah, man, and, and excited to kind of get back into the season because something that we didn't really maybe get to talk about in the the golf preview show was like the change to the schedule that came about on the PJ tour this year and the new elevated events that have become um, kind of front and center on the schedule and have been kind of making, I guess, in the golf sphere kind of front page news, the outside of live, probably the main story of the upcoming season is the fact that we're going to have elite fields a lot more often you would think with these guys being forced to play 16 of the 17 elevated events, even places like Harbor town, and the Travelers and Quail Hollow, uh, places that, you know, normally get pretty solid fields, maybe not like the best, the best, the elite fields. Um, now we'll have, you know, very likely at least 16, uh, you know, at least 19 or 20 of the top names uh, in world golf. Um, plus, you know, the, the old favorites that we're used to at those particular venues. So um, that being said, Capitalu is the first of the elevated events. So if you guys don't know, um, I don't know how interesting this is to many people, but, Basically, if you finish top 20 in the PIP, um, the player impact program, basically the 20 most popular players as determined by uh, social media, whatever metrics the PJ Tour uses to uh, carry the PJ Tour brand. Uh, the top 20 in that metric, um, which is typically made up of the best players in the world, um, is basically forced, again, to participate in <clears throat> 16 of the 17 elevated events. Now, for most of them, it's not a problem because – Four of them are the majors where the players, uh, Phoenix, uh, Riviera, Mirfield Village, like the the stops that everyone pretty much circles anyway at the start of the season. Like, you know, we don't lack field strength in a lot of those events, but, um, you know, Kapalua is one that a few guys in the past have maybe skipped out on, especially the elite guys who want to take a little bit extra time. They don't really need the guaranteed $70,000 uh, for making the trip to Hawaii, so they'll just kind of hang out back at home in Florida or wherever they're from. Um, but yeah, I think with this new system, it's going to be fun because again, we're going to have more weeks just like this, where we're going to get to break down the best players in the world and kind of see um, how they stack up 
at a lot of different venues. Like Harbortown for me is, is one that really sticks out because it's just such a different golf course from the ones we're used to seeing these guys contest. I mean, um, you know, it's not very often that we get the top 20 players in the world playing at a 70, 100 yard, you know, claustrophobic old school kind of design like Harbortown. So um, full disclosure, I'm trying to make arrangements to get up there um, in, in April. So we'll see kind of how that goes a couple of states away. But, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's me nerding out about, about the golf schedule. We can go ahead and get into uh, the, the matter at hand. I know Chris, he tried to serve me up a, a little softball there and I just kind of went and uh, started spewing for like four straight minutes, but we are at Kapalua to open the 2023 season 39 or 40 man field. Traditionally, obviously Roy McIlroy uh, did choose to skip out on his first elevated event. So he will, as far as I understand, be required to play the rest of the 16 elevated events. So he will be at Harbor town. He will be uh, at the travelers. He will be obviously quite hollow. He, he owns that place. So there was probably no question about that. Um, but yeah, the rest of the 40 field other than Roy Mac, the rest of the field of 40 other than Roy McIlroy is here, uh, made up of every player that won in the calendar year of 2022, as well as anyone that made it to Eastlake, um, also got a special exemption to play in the tournament champions. So that's how they determine the field here. It's kind of a bit of a reward, um, guaranteed payday, four days, no cuts, um, obviously a trip to Hawaii. So this is a, again, a bit of a reward for the guys that, um, you know, made big time steps in their career last year. And now they get to, again, kind of compete for four days around a really generous golf course and get a little bit of money in their pockets heading into 2023. So it is since 1999, we have played at the plantation course at Kapalua and Lahina, Hawaii on the island of Maui. Uh, it is the only par 73 on the PGA tour schedule. It tips out around 7,600 yards. Uh, you're looking at rolling Hills, a lot of elevation changes. Kapalua is basically built on the side of a mountain. Um, so again, a lot of elevation change, a lot of rolling hills, plenty of ocean views. You're kind of at the top of the world. It feels like, um, on the island of Maui, there, looking down on Molokai, looking down on Oahu and, you know, obviously the, the many scenic views around the Hawaiian islands, um, very exposed. There's very little in the way of like tree line on this golf course. So when winds do kick up, we've seen it a couple of years in the past where when winds start to kick up, it can really affect play because there's really nothing, um, stopping the wind to really kind of cause havoc around here, especially at the elevation we're at. Um, so yeah, highly susceptible to wind. Although on Tuesday night, as of what I've seen, I haven't seen much in the way of wind forecasted. Um, certainly nothing like we saw in, I believe that was 2020 when JT won at 14 under, um, which for this golf course is, is a very, very low score um, relative to par. But yeah, they had, they had a lot of winds kick up. It started to play a little bit firmer and faster, a little bit, they lost a little bit of control on the um, on the greens and it resulted in a lot of high scores. But in general, um, this is a pretty low stress test. Like I've kind of said a couple of times, very, very wide fairways among the widest fairways in the PGA tour, massive greens, sparse rough. There's few hazards unless you really start hitting foul balls off the tee. Um, so like I said, it's a very gentle handshake into the PGA tour season. Uh, it's kind of the perfect spot to kind of ease these guys in uh, to a new PGA tour campaign. Um and yeah, so like I said, the only par 73 on tour, um, which features three par threes, uh, four par fives and 11 par fours. So basically it's the, it's the regular 10, four, four layout, except for you trade in a par three for a par, for a par four. And I get you to the par 73. So although it does read 7,600 yards on the scorecard, um, the par fours and fives are all actually below tour average in terms of distance. Um, eight of the 11 par fours measure under 425 yards and the three outliers in this group, one, seven and 17, um, that measure over 500 yards, all play severely downhill and traditionally downwind. Um, for reference, John Rahm last year in the final round, um, of last year's tournament of champions had just 118 yards in for a second shot on the 522 yard par four seventh. Uh, so you can do the math on that. Like you can get a lot of run out in these fairways with the, uh, with the contours and particularly if you're downwind, you know, 400 yard drives are a semi-regular occurrence actually around Kapalua here, uh, particularly on the downwind downhill holes for sure. Um, again, for PJ tour pros, 425 yard par fours with fairways this generous are pretty much nothing more than driver wedge. And hopefully, you know, I've already looked. Um, so yeah, not much to write home about there. The par threes, only three of them here, they measure from 161 to 219 yards. Uh, but just like the par fours, the two longer uh, of the two longer holes, two and eight, 
um, each play at least a clever two downwind. Um, and while they all play a bit over par, as most par threes on tour do, none of these holes have a greater than 19% bogey or worse rate. So um, they play as the second, third, and uh, seventh most difficult golf holes on the course, but that's not really saying much considering their average scores are 302, 309, and 311. So even the quote-unquote difficult holes around here typically aren't going to cause these guys too much stress, um, and the par, par threes being kind of chief among them there. Uh, par fives, as you expect, would be uh, – they play as the four easiest holes in the golf course. They come with a 46, 45, 51, and 56% birdie better rate, respectively. Uh, the 677-yard par 5 18th seems jarring on the scorecard at first, but again, just like the par fours we've talked about, it's perhaps the most steeply downhill tee shot we'll see all year. Uh, drives routinely end up in the 375 to 400-yard range on that hole, and most guys – I would say at, at most will have like an 80 or 90 yard pitch shot in for the third. So um, even though it says 677 on the tee, um, certainly doesn't play like a, like a standard three shot hole. I think you're, you're going to, you're still going to see your fair share guys get there in two and have Eagle, eagle looks on that hole. Um, so yeah, let's move on to kind of the individual metrics here. Like I said, off the tee, this is about as low stress of a venue as you're ever going to see on the PJ tour. Um, I believe the fairway percentage last year was in the 80%. Uh, range. I think historically it's in the 75% range. I mean, this is a golf course that me and Chris could out, go out and play. Uh, probably not from the same tee boxes, but we could go out and play and uh, keep the ball in front of us. Probably not lose a, too many golf balls, which is a um, is a feat for me in particular. Um, so, yeah, guys will be highly incentivized to bomb driver and kind of attempt to lead themselves as short as possible distance in for the second shot. Um, driving accuracy here means absolutely nothing, basically. Um as far as approach play, like I said, wedge play, I think, is kind of king for me outside of maybe two of the par fours and the par fives. Um, eight holes under 425 here, uh, par fours, that is. We have a short par par three um, on the 11th hole, I believe, 161, and then a downhill 190-yard par three that I think you could probably hit a short iron into. Most guys will. So I think many of these guys' fates will be decided by their wedge play this week. Um to the point to where if I need to break a tie in like a betting or DFS situation, uh, wedge proximity was among my kind of top metrics I looked at, specifically inside 150 yards, I think. You know, you just kind of run down the holes. Um, unless it's a par five or a couple of the par threes, um, you know, you're going to see most players in the fairway and most guys having anywhere from 75 to 130 yards into most of these holes. Um, around the green play, basically irrelevant. Um, again, with GIR rates boarding on 80%. Um, if you're being forced to scramble regularly here, you're basically getting lapped as it is. So, uh, around the green, always weighted a little bit in terms of par five scoring metrics, because you're not expecting these guys to hit every par five green into, um, but otherwise, uh, they're complete uh, strokes getting around the green, scrambling, sand saves all completely left out of my modeling. Uh, and then putting obviously extremely relevant, uh, with winning scores likely in the mid twenties or higher. I guess I should go through the past champions real quick there. We're a little bit convoluted. Still kind of trying to get in the midseason form here in January. But uh, obviously last year, Cameron Smith is the defending champion here at the Tournament Champions. Won at 34 under par. Um, set a, I believe it was a PGA Tour record. I don't think anyone's ever gotten a 34 under. Uh, Rom actually finished one stroke behind him at 33. Like Cam Smith won a 34 under and it came down to like the last hole. Um, and Matt Jones actually finished solo third at 32 under. So I think three guys, three separate guys um, broke the tournament scoring record last year. And uh, that was primarily due to the fact that the winds laid down and they had a lot of rainfall coming in. So greens were super receptive. Guys were stuffing wedges into like five feet routinely and making putts. And Cam Smith obviously made the most of them. Uh, 2021, uh, Harris English beat Joaquin Neiman in a playoff at 25 under. 2020, like I mentioned earlier, Justin Thomas uh, defeated Patrick Reed and Xander Shoffley in a playoff at 14 under. Uh, 2019, Xander Shoffley at minus 23. 2018, Justin Johnson, 24 under. Uh, 2017, Justin Thomas again at minus 22. 2016, Jordan Spieth at minus 30. And 2015, Patrick Reed defeated Jimmy Walker in a playoff at minus 21. So as you can see, there are a lot of kind of familiar names. You know, you we'll talk about it a little bit on the odds board kind of coming in. But course history does tend to matter a little bit here. Debbie Thompson have historically had a pretty difficult time. Um, just in general, there's obviously outliers and exceptions. But in general, uh, you kind of see the same names pop up week in, week out. Or year in, year out, I should say. Um, and a lot of them are here this week and will be priced accordingly. 
So, like I said, last, what, eight years there, only one time has the winning score not surpassed 20 under par. So whenever the winning scores get to that range of 23, 24, 25, even deeper than that, obviously uh, putting will be extremely relevant because you're not going to be able to hit everything inside of three feet. Um, so if you look kind of through the last couple of years, we've seen some guys with Southeastern roots enjoy these Bermuda grass services. Uh, Cam Smith lives in Jacksonville, Harris English, Georgia guy, Kevin Kisner, Patrick Reed, Billy Horschel, et cetera. Um, but you could also kind of make the case that slower green speeds that they have here, just due to the winds, the exposure of the golf course, they can't run these greens at a 12 or 13 on the stem just because balls will start rolling off the greens if they, if gusts kick up. Uh, so they usually play at around 10 and a half, 11, which is below tour average in terms of green speed. And, the tendency is when the green speeds get a little bit lower, the playing field gets a little bit leveled uh, for a lot of the guys that, um, you know, from the elite, but basically the gap between the elite putters and the guys I like to bet um, tend to diminish just a little bit. Right. So, all right. Key stats here. Uh, Cause I feel like I've already talked way too much about this golf course. Uh, key stats again, driving distance for me um, is far weight over accuracy. I would even go as far as to say strokes can off the tee in general is a pretty beleaguered stat this week. I think, if you can hit the ball a long way, unless you're hitting just like, unless you're really, really far off of the driver, which I can't really think of anyone in the field that like is that inaccurate off the tee, just off the top of my head. Um, like there are certainly some inaccurate drivers, but like this is a different, you'd have to be a different level of inaccurate driver. Um, like if, like for example, Bryson DeChambeau found a way to miss like 40% of his fairways last year. Kikiko, um found a way to miss like 35% of his fairways. I don't think there's anyone in this field that, quite could match those guys in terms of just um their dispersion off the tee and that's a bad thing lack of lack of control off the tee I, I guess is a better way to say that um so yeah i think generally if you if you my bet would be if you look at the strokes here off the tee numbers at the end of the week they're going to be highly correlated with the guys that just hit it the farthest um strokes can approach my second key metric particularly again wedge proximity inside 150 Birders are better gained. Birdie chances created. Bermuda putting slash three-putt avoidance. That's pretty much the only way you're going to make bogey. I mean, I look, obviously, guys will get off and they will make bogeys, but I think the primary kind of danger around this place is three-putt avoidance. Um, if you do miss these greens in the wrong spots, uh, it's not all that easy to lag putt, um, partially due to the wind exposure, partially due to the, to the slowness of the greens, a little bit of slope in there as well. So, um, yeah, three-putt avoidance for me is weighted pretty, I mean, higher than an average week for sure. Uh, par five scoring, uh, course history, and then strokes gained in easy scoring conditions. Uh, basically, just the ability to go low um, when birdie chances are presented in front of you. So, um, yeah, that pretty much, I guess I will, yeah, I will give you my top uh, 10 in the modeling here. Uh, now, it's kind of tricky to determine a sample size just because a lot of these guys, obviously, we haven't seen on the PJ Tour uh, very much in the fall. Um, and then obviously we haven't seen anybody play competitive golf, at least like in a solo endeavor for at least a month. Um, I'm not really counting the QB shootout and the PNC father son championship. So, um, I've got last 50 rounds, um, within the last eight months. So basically starting April 1st, this is pretty, it's kind of an arbitrary sample size, I'll be honest. Um, but it, it was kind of the, it was long-term enough to where I felt like we could get their baselines yet short-term enough to where I don't, I thought they're not drastically different players from when, like if you go back, start going back 12 months, 18 months, two years, I think you can maybe sometimes um, way too much um, kind of a player. Like you can, what's the word? Basically you can, you, you don't count the player they are now. Like you're, you're kind of this, disvaluing the play devaluing the 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 um let's see the progressions they made kind of over the last like six it's recency bias basically you're basically yeah. mitigating the recency bias yeah i think people know what i'm saying i'm just trying to make yeah. it like very <laughs> so like i said it, it's it's kind of been a long day and i've done one of these course breakdowns in quite a long time so we're still trying to find our sea legs but this is the top 10 for me roy McIlroy was number one uh obviously he has withdrawn so Tooney Finau now takes the number one spot for me in my model. Will Zaltoris is actually number two. Very interesting name this week. I think we'll talk about later. Uh, Patrick Cantley is number three for me. Xander Shoffley is number four. Justin Thomas, five. Scotty Scheffler, six. Uh, Tom Hoagie is number seven. Uh, Tom Kim is number eight. Sam Burns and Cameron Young uh, Matt, or round out my top ten uh, in the model. So 
yeah, with that being said, I think, like I said, I talked way too much about uh, Kapalua considering I think you could pretty much just diagnose this course in like a paragraph if you really needed to. So uh, let's get in the odds board and kind of the, the, the crux of all the decisions we have in front of us this week. Well, I do have one question but before we jump in the odds board, but it'll be quick. Yeah. So what was the main difference last year at the course? Like why did it shoot? Why did three guys shoot under 30 when we haven't yeah. seen like the last person to shoot under 30, I think you said was Jordan Spieth in 2016. So like, mm-hmm. all right. it feels like every time we have a, a course like this, like mm-hmm. I, I, I remember John Rom being one of the guys last year who was very adamant about like these courses too easy yeah. like with the birdie fests like yep. this is dumb so you would think that Kapalu is going to want to make this course harder so is there any chatter about like pin location being harder or is there something in particular last year that was benefiting people i don't know i don't um, know if there is anything yeah i i think honestly if you're if you want to make the winning score um like routinely or you just want to make this course routinely more difficult uh going forward you just move the venue <laughs> like i think capital was just a very it's like it's the most resort course of all resort courses we play on the pga tour like i said the fairways are super generous you can hit driver wherever the fuck you want everyone's gonna be in the fairway most guys are gonna have wedges in you you put a wedge at a pga tour player's hand in soft conditions to keep in mind they had kind of record rainfalls um kind of throughout December and early January last year heading into this tournament. And whenever you get those kind of soft conditions, guys are able to just control the distances a lot better than whenever you have firmer greens and then you have to adjust for potential, you know, kicks and roll out. Um, whereas, you know, if guys essentially know where their ball is going to stop, wherever they, or the ball is going to plug wherever they kind of carry it to, uh, they're able to really be aggressive to a lot of these flag sticks and take dead aim. Um, particularly on a golf course, like I said, with so many wedges in hand. So um, that's uh, that's the primary, I think, motivator for any kind of easy golf course. Like I think you can – if you firm up any kind of golf course, I think it makes it quite a bit harder. We saw it at the BMW Championship at Delaware um, at Wilmington Country Club. It was actually uh, – we hit a winner there. We hit Cantley there, but – if you listen back to the podcast beforehand, like I did not expect the winning score to be at 10 under par, um, which I think Kately won it. I'm pretty sure he won at 10 or 11. Um, but if you look historically through BMW championships, like it's the winning score has been 25, 26 under, like they've set it up to score. Um, whereas Delaware country club or Wilmington country club, I'm sorry. Um, they made a pretty market effort to firm that golf course up, um, make it play fast and you saw guys lose control, uh, not not just off the tee with, you know, I mean, if you're driving, if you're driving the golf ball uh, into a firm fairway, you just can't account for the rollout. You can't count for the bounces. And then when you grow the rough up uh, from there, you just lose a lot of control, uh, obviously out of the rough and then onto the firm, firm green services. Um, you know, balls coming out of the rough with no spin. They just have no chance to stop. So that's when you start seeing missed greens. Obviously, guys have to scramble more. That's going to prop up scores. Um, I don't think this course outside, like, Unless the winds really kick up, I don't think this course will ever play super, super difficult. But, um, yeah, there was definitely a kind of a perfect storm for, for guys to take that place apart last year. Um, and I, I, if I had to guess, like, I think if, if you had to set, like, a Vegas line on the winning score this year, I think 24 and a half would probably be it. Like, I, I would be pretty surprised if uh, just just based on what I've been reading and seeing um, – of the weather reports around this area. They haven't gotten near the amount of weight rainfall. They, they should, they should have been able to kind of, um, keep the, keep the greens from being too soft and, and receptive. So guys, uh, won't have near as much of control, um, heading into these greens as, as they had last year. So, um, easy golf course for sure. But yeah, last year was certainly an outlier. I, I don't expect that to happen, um, this year or anytime soon. Yeah, no, that's, I was just curious because it's just weird because like you said, the last three years we've seen minus 34, minus 25, and minus 14. So it just seems like yeah, we've got yeah. almost a 20-point swing over the last three years. So Yeah, I mean, that's 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 golf. It's an out, it's yeah. an outdoor sport. I mean, we see it in other sports as well. Like, I mean, weather plays a factor in any outdoor sport, and golf um, is obviously right up there with them. So, um, I mean, open championships, I don't know. We've been actually quite fortunate in the last couple of years since we've been covering golf that we haven't really had like a bad open championship. 
Um, but that's kind of like the poster child of like conditions make the golf tournament um, and conditions determine a lot of what kind of happens at the end of uh, four days there. So, um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I don't think much changes. Like even if you told me the winning score was going to be like 30 in your par compared to 25, like I still think the same things matter. Um, so my handicap analysis doesn't really change. The only thing I might um, amend if you told me the winning score was going to be the same point is I would, weight putting a little bit more just because if it's true at 2500 it's even more true at at 30 like you just can't lose strokes on the greens or you, you really even can't be average on the greens and contend like a birdie party last year um and we'll talk about kind of the, uh the fates of a lot of the guys that we bet last year and kind of how that determined um the betting card all right. So with that being said, we will head over to the odds board. Um, and as usual, as per usual, um, with North Carolina still being stingy as fuck, we don't have legal betting. So we'll be using Bovada as our source here as we go through the odds board. Um, but, you know, like we always tell you, and we do it ourselves, you know, search other books, find what you can. Uh, we'll try to reference some of those other numbers that you can get at other places. But for the basis of this podcast, we're looking at John Rahm at plus 700, Scotty Scheffler at plus 800, and actually, I'm going to cut it off there. We'll start with those two. Obviously, the top two, uh, ironically, of our off-season podcast uh, yeah. for our bracket, if you haven't listened to that yet, um, which I just realized I did not go back and post the results of that, but I'll go do that. Um, but, um, yeah, the top two, the winner of the Gen Z, the bracket, the winner of the Super Bracket, uh, John Rom also being the uh, runner-up last year um, in an absolute showdown with um, Cameron Smith. So, uh, yeah, what do you have for these two? What kind of obviously the price is pretty expensive, but um, you know, if it came down to it, where would you lean between these two? Uh, yeah, so I, I think there's actually, I mean, I don't want to step on your toes, but I think there's actually a top five uh, in the field. I think Rom is is like a clear tier one. I think everyone kind of expects him to be the clear favorite when Rory dropped out, and then you kind of have Scheffler through Shoffley. Um, we'll talk about me a little bit later. So I'll start with Rom. Look, I mean, he's six and a half to one. That's never really a number I'm particularly interested in, particularly at a place like this that I think a lot of guys – I think the things that Rom does really well, despite the fact that his course history is phenomenal here, I think there's a lot of things that Rom does well aren't exactly exemplified here. Um, Rom gets – Rom gains a lot of his advantage from driving the ball long and accurately off the tee, which the distance will play a big factor here. I don't really believe – he gains that much more advantage as like a guy like Cam Young or a guy like maybe a Justin Thomas that bombs it and maybe doesn't hit it quite as straight. Um, and then you look at like Rom's proximity distributions. He's a much better long arm player than he's a wedge player. So that's why you see Rom tend to do better on, you know, Torrey Pines, Mirfield Village, these kind of U.S. Open layouts where you have to hit a lot of long irons, uh, you know, Bay Hill, the players, uh, places like that, the marquee events. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to argue Rom. I mean, the good with Rom, the reason why he's priced at plus 650 is, number one, he's the – I guess coming in in terms of like just recent form, based on his fall results, he's the hottest guy in this field or the second hottest guy in this field. Uh, and then when you look back at his history here, uh, five starts, second, seventh, tenth, eighth, second. He's literally never finished outside the top ten here. Um, now, I do think that's maybe a little bit overblown just because, number one in 2018 – Yes, he finished second, but I think he lost to DJ by like six or seven shots. Like he was never in that golf tournament. And then obviously this is a 40-man event. So it's it's kind of like – it's a 40-man event. And typically like it's a little bit like the Masters in the way that you have a lot of the winners from the Puerto Rico Open, Corrales, you know, like some of the lesser – the John Deere, right? Some of the lesser events that kind of makes up the back – portion of this uh, betting board in this field so typically it, it it's really only contested by like 35 36 players um and so all of a sudden a 10th place finish out of 36 is a lot less impressive sounding than like finishing top 10 even like next week at sony right so um look rom i think is a solid play this week i think i'd be very surprised if he wasn't around the lead on sunday but um I don't think his skill set separates himself enough um, around this place. I like there are places where I would bet John Rom at six and a half, seven to one, uh, and I I have just now realized I've been referencing six and a half because that's been his number all week, and he's actually seven to one on Bovada right now. So I apologize about that. But there are places I would bet John Rom at seven to one. Uh, this is not this is not one of them. And then Scotty at eight, 
Um, he must be catching some real steam because for me, at least when I look at like the Scotty Scheffler, Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley um, range here, kind of from, I guess, eight to 11 to one on the odds board I'm looking at right now. Uh, Scheffler was the guy that actually interested me the least uh, just because we've seen the putting woes kind of come to a head for Scheffler really since his hot streak last fall or last spring. I'm sorry. Uh, he hasn't really found sustained success with the flat stick. Um, and then he doesn't really have the course history that again, a lot of these guys have. And we see it year over year where your ROMs, your JTs, your Cantleys, your Xanders. Um, I mean, I'll quickly go through kind of some results here. I mean, you look at Xander first, second, fifth, 12th, last four starts, Cantley fourth, 13th, fourth, last three years, Justin Thomas. Uh, I mean, we'll get to him in a second, but obviously he's phenomenal around this place. So for me, Again, Scheffler, kind of like Rom, and maybe a lot of the reason why me and Byron continued to advance these guys uh, through our bracket was I think they do a lot of their best work where conditions get difficult, um, and they're forced to tap into less accessible skill sets on the PJ Tour. And, and what I mean by that is they do things in an elite level that very few guys do at an average level. Like, And whenever you can be as good of a long iron player as a guy like Rahm or Scheffler, like just separate yourself a lot more than um, just because like the amount of, the amount of guys that can hit a high soft five iron from like two fifteen are, it's a lot harder to find. So whenever you get to a golf course where that's required and you know, Scheffler is hitting Scheffler and Rahm are not missing greens with five irons and guys are uh, that can really rack up in a hurry. It's a very, very similar case. I think Scotty is obviously capable of winning this week, but um, even at like ten or eleven to one, I had no interest. So eight to one. I know, I know the narratives are there that he can make, he can be the top, uh, he can take over Rory as the top golfer in the world again. Um, I think with a win or like a solo second or third. Um, I think I read it earlier this week. So he's obviously got the motivation. He's a phenomenal player. Like I love Scotty Scheffler, but again, you've got to kind of pick your spots at the top of the board. You know, when you're when you're presented with prices in front of you, like seven and eight to one, you can't bet these guys every single week um, unless that's I mean, unless you just want to call it quits and just bet one of them. Um, and so if you just look through the PJ door schedule again, there are places where I'll be very interested um, in betting one of these top guys um, at single digit odds. But uh, Kapalua is not one of them. All right. So and actually, I was trying to figure I read that same thing about Scotty. Taking over the world number one, two. So I'm yeah. glad you referenced that. Um, he can win solo second, solo third. I think if he comes in like a two or three way tie for second, he can also reach number one in the world. Um, and that's that's boring, obviously, what Rory does in Dubai in a couple weeks' time. I'm not sure when Scotty's going to play next. I don't think Scotty's going to play at Sony or at the Amex. So, uh, but at least for those two weeks, he will have a chance to, uh, to take back the throne. Right. All right, so that brings us to kind of the next three that you mentioned as kind of like your top five, or the guys you see as like the real tier one. Yeah. Um, and we do have a bet in this range. Um, so we got Justin Thomas, Patrick Cantley, and Xander Shoffley up here at the top. Um, yeah, let's take it away. It's obviously, Xander being a, a former winner here, JT yeah. being a guy that um, kind of always has like like a course horse here. Yeah. Um, um, be honest with you, I don't know. I don't see a lot of Cantley standing out here, so I'd be curious to see why you're on him as well, or not on him, but why you see him as a top tier guy. Yeah. So at the top, I don't think this is a hot take by any means, but if I look, if I'm going to make a bet underneath like 14 to one, um, it it was always between these three guys, and I, full disclosure, bet Justin Thomas at 12 to one. Um, a lot of that was the fact that it was the best number I could personally find. I think if I would have found like a Xander at 12, Cantley at 14. I think um, I could easily be swayed into one of those two. I think Cantley's probably, to your point, the least compelling of the four, not to say he can, or of the three, not to say he can't win. I actually do like Patrick Cantley a lot this week, but I would rank him slightly behind JT and Xander. Um, uh, just because of the course history, uh, we have a little, little bit more of a limited sample size on Cantley. But when you look at like his actual metrics and kind of what he does well he plays score easy scoring courses very very well we saw him um we've seen him win at the bmw not this past bmw but the bmw caves valley which i think is a decent comparable very driver heavy a lot of birdies made um 
you talk about a second place finish. I think he finished runner up at uh, the Rocket Mortgage, which I think is another kind of driver heavy birdie party. Um, you look at you know what he does at the Shriners year every year, another birdie, birdie party that's pretty generous off the tee. So, yeah, I, I, I think Cantley again, he's probably the best or second best putter in this field. Uh, so whenever conditions get pretty easy and you can see guys hitting to 15, 20 feet on a regular basis, like can Cantley gain nine strokes putting and win this golf tournament? Absolutely. So that would be the main thing with Cantley. Um, my guess, my big hang up with him would be a little bit of the, just the ball striking. I think he's a little bit lower class for a iron player than a Xander or, or a JT, uh, particularly the wedges. He's outside of the top 30 out of 40 in this field from 100 to 125. Um, strangely also not a great, he three puts a lot more than like your, what you would expect from like an elite putter. He's actually bottom three in this field and three putt avoidance, which is quite surprising to me. I, I wouldn't wait that crazy high. Cause I don't see like with his pet or with his profile, like I think he's going to have 20, 25 feet of birdie quite a bit. So, um, but yeah, just not quite the caliber ball striker. I think he's going to have to rely a little bit more on the putter than the Xander or JT. So that's why. I shot away a little bit more from Cantley. Um, and so Xander JT, like like I said, Xander has won here before. He won here. Um, 2019. 2019, he came runner-up to JT in 2020. Um, phenomenal iron player. I mean, it, there's nothing <clears throat> bad to say about, about Xander's game. Like, I, I think Xander, if I, if I could just pick two guys this week, I, I might – if I would have gotten the right prices, I might have just went JT and Xander and kind of called it a week. But for me, JT just got the edge, number one, because he is the best wedge player in this field. And I talked about um, how how many wedges you're going to have on this golf course. JT's phenomenal at these just feel, feely, floaty little 90, 100, 110-yard wedge shots. I mean, he just – you get JT in the fairway, the wedges in hand, and you're surprised if it goes outside of like eight, nine feet. Um, obviously, you know, <laughs> the last six years here, he's finished, he's won the tournament more than he's finished outside the top five, fifth, third, first, third, 22nd, first since 2017. Um, and, you know, the things that he historically struggles with, or one of the main things he historically struggles with is kind of getting a bit wayward with the driver. I think that's, um, He's going to find plenty of safety net around Kapalua, so he can kind of swing free off the tee. Uh, he's top five in this field in driving distance. Uh, again, the best wedge player in this field, third best par five score, fifth in birdie chances created, second in Stokes and Hood on easy scoring conditions just behind Cantley. So whenever I th- whenever I think of like a low-stress birdie party, this is kind of the kind of tournament that JT really cut his teeth on. I know his last few, was, his last few wins have come at the PGA Championship of the players, but – when JT was really coming up and kind of established himself in the world game, this is the type of golf course that he would uh, really take apart. So um, I think he's as likely as anyone in this field to contend this week. And we're getting what nearly double the nearly double the number as like as on a guy like John Rahm. So um, I'll take the discount here on the on the kid from Louisville, and he will uh, he will lead the card at twelve to one. It's a it's a great number that you won't find anywhere else, unfortunately, because. Um, I think, I think I had to try to remember which one. Maybe not. Maybe I actually might have got JT at twelve, but that yeah. is the call-in number that I had to pair with a tennis this morning to get. Oh, so. <laughs> I tend to do let's that. Not talk about that. We've all done it, but let's let's not talk. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can find JT at eleven pretty um, pretty much across the board. It, weirdly, like Cantley and Scheffler are the guys that's caught that have caught the most steam. I think they all kind of open around ten or eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's been Scheffler and Cantley in the market that have kind of crashed down to nine and 10. You can still find 11 and maybe a rogue 12 on JT and, and Xander. So I'm seeing bet three, six, five bet rivers, draft Kings all have 11 to ones on, on JT. And he would, that would be my, my pick of, of three, like I said. So, um, I think it's a lot of, it's a kind of a matter of personal taste. I, if I'm scrolling through golf Twitter and a guy has a bet on Xander or a bet on Cantley, like I, I completely understand the rationale. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to tie my, um, I'm going to play my flag again with the wedges, and I just think uh, he's just going to create so many birdie chances. And, you know, we've seen JT go. I mean, he he co-holds the course record here with Rom, obviously firing the uh, 1,261 here last year. Um, if he doesn't if he doesn't have, like, a really bad round one, he's very likely – he was he would have very likely been in contention um, 
right up there with kind of Roman Cam Smith there last year. So, um, yeah, in the wind, I like him. Uh, if it's easy, I like him. So there's nothing really that I can say against him. Yeah, and to your point, you know, these three guys are four, five, and six in your model. So not much, not much separating them. Um, but with that being said, we'll move to the next four here. I'll group the next four together. So we got Tony Fee now at 14, Sungjae at 18, Colin Morikawa at 20, and Victor Hovland at 20. I will tell you, I did uh, take Byron's approach. Uh, I've locked in the Hovland hole in one prop for this week, 200 to one. Wait, what? You found one? Yeah. Where? Some Bavada. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, literally, they must- literally everybody's a 200 to one, the whole field. 200 to one. That's not bad. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm going to bet that. That's for sure. <laughs> shout out, shout out at the Model Maniac. God, uh, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna bet so many of these damn things. <laughs> hey, like you said that, like you said when he was on here, if you bet it every tournament yeah. and it hits once, you're still positive, probably. Right. They have so. to do it. I mean, two hundred to one. If they, if a guy, I mean, a guy's not gonna play more than like thirty times a year. So you're saying like once in every six years, six and a half years, he's gonna make a hole in one on tour. I think that's like I. It's like it's the most like it's the most like sucker bet of all time. Like instinctually for me, like I feel like I'm just a complete sucker like betting this. But yeah, I I I more so expected like eighty or hundred to one. I did not expect two hundred. So I will definitely be making some some moves in that market uh, at a later date. But you wanted to go through uh, Sungjae. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. So we 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 skip Finau, but we'll maybe we'll save Finau for a little bit. I said him. He's part of this. Oh, Gino, okay. Sanjay, Colin and Victor. Oh, okay, so we're okay. Yeah, fourteen to twenty. Understood. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, so Tony. Yeah, look, I think Tony's going to be probably one of the more polarizing guys, kind of in the outright betting space and gambling Twitter just in general. Um, obviously, a guy that if you run any kind of statistical model over the last six months or so, like he's going to pop. He's he should be top two or three in everyone's model, in my opinion um drives the ball a long way he's been a phenomenal iron player the putter is actually heating up over the last 50 rounds he's actually the best putter in this field which is just crazy to think about considering where tony's mm. kind of been historically throughout his career like what his baselines are if i had to guess i think he slows down and granted i said that after his first win at, at 3m and then he won rocket the very next the very next week so i've not been on the tony bandwagon i'm not particularly interested in buying high here he's not really had too much success uh historically here either although look he it's very possible he's just a completely different player and he's now like a top five player in the world and we're maybe missing out a little bit of value um but particularly this number at 14 to 1 i'd much rather go up and grab like xander or or jt at 11 or 12 than than tony at 14 so i did see some like 16s and 18s floating out there at open i don't mind those if you're able to nab those but i think maybe the boats um the boat's already passed if, if you were uh, if you missed out on that number. Um, and if Tony wins, man, <laughs> just well done to him. Like I'll, I'll tip my cap and we'll really have to reassess heading into his next start because, um, yeah, four, four, I think he's three and seven. So four and eight would be just absolutely bonkers if they, if he was able to pull that off. So, um, so I'm actually gonna, I'm actually gonna veto you here. Uh, just because I want to talk about my third bet before I talk about my second bet, if that's okay. Yeah, I mean, and I'll I'll, I'll lay out the reason why. So okay. I, I kind of want to I kind of want to paint the picture of like my entire weekly process from like Monday morning to Tuesday night. So Sam Burns was actually my number one click, and I don't think that would surprise anybody considering I've talked to Chris privately. I talked to Byron about it on the offseason pod, like. This is a venue I've had circled for Sam Burns for quite some time. I got a 30 to one. I'm more than content if you have a 25 or 28 out there. I think those are both really good numbers. Um, I, I just love Sam Burns for this for this golf course. Kapalua mitigates his two biggest weaknesses. Uh, missing fairways off the tee and scrambling from off the green. Um, he's going to be in every fairway. He should hit almost every green, I would think. And he's sneakily one of the best wedge players on tour. He's fourth in the proximity in this field from under from inside 150 yards. We know how hot that putter can run on Bermuda grass. Um, and he also rates out fifth in stroke chain total in easy score conditions and second in stroke chain putting over the last six months. So again, I just think that if you were going to, if you were going to build a golf course for Sam Burns, like you would build Kapalua, just wide open fairways, a ton of wedges in hand. He's lethal inside 150. And if you, I mean, if you give him, if you give Sam Burns like 15 feet on every hole, like I trust him 
as much as I trust anybody uh, on the PGA Tour to, to hold his fair share of putts from that range. So, I, like I said, I haven't really felt this. Com- I haven't really felt this confident about an outright selection in quite some time. So I'm really excited to watch Sam. I mean, this could easily blow up my face. Like there's, there, there's kind of a reason he's 30 to one. And the reason is he's only has one top 10, um, I think since July. So look, the recent form hasn't quite been there. We all know about when he was like co-favorite with Scotty Sheffield at Houston and then was like eight over par through, you know, 10 holes or whatever. Like his, his turn was over like an hour um, there in Houston in a place he typically played pretty well, but I think he's like he's kind of at least at this point in time he's kind of pigeonholed himself a little bit. We talked about it a little bit with Byron on the offseason podcast into these kind of birdie fests because it's gotten to a point with Burns' driver where he just can't drive the ball straight enough to contend on these golf courses that are tight and there's actually a penalty for missing, right? Because his number one, I think, well outside of his putter, his number two weapon is his iron play. And we kind of talked about his will as well, Zalatoris. Whereas if you're missing a ton of fairways, like your iron play is like your ceiling with your iron play is drastically reduced just because you can't control the ball on a lot of these rough, um, out of a lot of the rough that we see at, you know, the major championships, uh, the playoff events, the Miraput Villages, the world of Tory Pines. So I think even though he hasn't quite found a ton of success as of recently, the course fit is just so good that I, as long as he just continues to do what he's been doing, which is hit wedges well, hit the ball a long way off the tee, and putt well, like I, I think I think Burns is like just tailor made for this place. So, um, yeah, I'd go as far to say this is his best course fit by the numbers on the entire PJ Tour, and certainly his best chance to win outside the Southeast. So, I love this spot. I love the number. I'm sorry that I, um, 86, the uh, <laughs> the the typical um kind of steering at the program there. But yeah, that, that's my first click. That was that was kind of my first click. And then I clicked JT. So kind of circling back to the foursome that we were about to talk about, um, the Sung Jays, the Morikawas, the Hoblins, the Cam Youngs of the world. I kind of had a room for one of these four guys um, that I kind of knew I was going to be on. Um, obviously, if you followed our podcast for any amount of time, you know that these guys are all, um, you know, close friends of the pod, some more than others. Um, but we bet these guys quite a bit. And truthfully, at the prices I'm seeing right now, I think you can pretty much find Sungjae 1820 across the board. Colin, I got a 25, but I think it's 2022, pretty much across market. Uh, Victor Hovland, again, 18 to 20 across market. Cam Young, 2022 across market. <laughs> I had a really tough time separating. Um, just been wickety within these young guns, and I think there's a really good case to be made for every single one of them. Uh, Hovland, I mean, if he brings the putter we saw in Albany, like it's a terrifying sight for the rest of the PJ Tour. Um, if he's holding 15, 20 footers with regularity, um, he's going to contend a lot in 2023. So this is a spot where he doesn't have the greatest success, but if I remember correctly, he actually was vying for the first round co-lead on Thursday here last year. I remember because I almost bet him and didn't. And then he went out and like was killing it for about 12 holes. And then he like, he made a double on the easiest hole in the golf course. So, and then it was kind of over from there. So uh, that's obviously a small sample, but I I obviously think his game can work here. He's one of the best ball strikers over a long-term sample on the PJ tour. Obviously drives a long way. He's going to get plenty of greens, which means the short game isn't going to be nearly as relied upon. And if he's sticking to 12, 15 feet all, all week long um, and he maintains that putting form, uh, I certainly I certainly understand uh, the argument and why I've seen him on quite a few betting cards on Twitter. Um, moving on to, yeah, Cameron Young. Um, I mean, he should be licking his chops around this place. I mean, this is a wide open birdie party. Similar in ways to the Rocket Mortgage where he finished runner-up, I would say of the courses he's actually played, that's probably the closest comp, maybe like a Sanderson um but a place where you've got to go low you can reach back with driver um pretty much hit anywhere and just utilize your distance and then cam young inside 125 actually a pretty good approach player um he's kind of underrated i think as an iron player just in general just because the middle irons sometimes get a little bit away from him um and he's not quite on the level of like a hoblin or morikawa uh but inside 125 he does right out quite well and then we've seen the putter flash enough to to make him scared at a course like this um, I think you're maybe paying up a little bit 
um, compared to the guys around him. Like I still don't quite put him, especially at a course like this with a Colin or Song Jay with the with the course history they've had. I think Victor's just a better player than Cam Young, uh, just all around. Um, but if you want to play the upside, like there's no doubt in my mind he can win. And, and then Song Jay, <laughs> who's maybe outside of Colin, has the best course history of anyone over 11 to one um, on the odds board. He's a combined 45 under par and eight rounds around Kapalua. Uh, so two years, I think he finished T5, T7, something in that range, maybe T8, T5. Um, but yeah, Sungjae, I think he's in for, for pretty big things. Um, I trust the putter on Bermuda grass. I trust him to make a lot of birdies. Um, and so, yeah, he's another guy that I, I, I've seen on Twitter a lot. I've seen touted by some really smart people. And I, I agree with a lot of them. For me, of course, <laughs> I've decided to stick with my guy. Uh, I bet Colin Morikawa at 25 to 1. Um, number one, he rates out the best of these four in, in wedge proximity. He's fifth in this field in overall strokes gain approach. He's fourth over the last six months. Uh, he's won T5, T7, T7, and three starts around Kapalua. So he's got the course history check there. And he's done so despite never gaining more than 0.4 strokes on the greens. So uh, when you look at a lot of these guys that spike at Kapalua, it's because they've run a hot potter for a week. Collins pretty much contended every single year just with his ball striking. Um, and, you know, he's had a little bit of time. Uh, I mean, Albany was ugly with the putter. He still finished solo sixth, but, man, he missed a lot of really, really makeable looks there that could have pushed Hobbin and Sheffield a little bit more than he actually did. But um, he's had some time the holidays to maybe clean up a few of the, the shorties that he uh, that caused him a lot of problems at Albany and – like I said, I just think he's going to find every fairway. He's going to stick every wedge shot, and it's just a matter if the putter can just wake up a little bit. I don't think I don't think Colin is in a place with his ball striking where he needs to gain six, seven, eight strokes putting to win an event. Like I think you just have to be like gently above average, and and you're right there. So um, I'm seeing positive signs. I know. <laughs> I know I kind of made it in an unofficial New Year's resolution to kind of like stay away from him, but I'm getting 25 to one, which is the best value of the four. And I think it's pretty even up throughout this entire range. So um, if you want my, like, if you want my actual rankings, I, I would put, I think Victor and Colin are, are kind of one, a one B I'd put Sung at two. And then I'd put, I'd put Cam Young at three, but again, um, you can easily make the case for any of these four guys, yeah, any of these four guys. And um, I would, I would listen with open ears. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the trick this week. I think what the what the bottom of the board lacks in a lot of interest in win equity, um, you know, it's it's these kind of micro decisions here at the top. Um, you're gonna make and break your outright week, and so I'm not really messing around too much. We've we bet a guy at the very top. I bet my favorite kind of value in the 20s, and then um, I've just got that funny feeling about Sam Burns. So that that makes it my card, and then. Obviously, we've got some other names to talk about if Chris wants to, but um, JT, Morikawa, and Sam Burns will be making up my uh, my maiden card of 2023. So, obviously, I love the Sam Burns play. Like, as soon as you talked about that with Byron, I knew that was, I knew that was coming, and then you sent out a text kind of looking for a better number on him, and we found one. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm pumped about that one. Pumped about that one, obviously. And um, you brought up the, like, the perfect course for him. There's one piece you're missing. It just needs to be put in like Jackson, Mississippi or Tampa. Like Right. That. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's Bermuda. So it's it's the best we can get, I guess, right? I no, no, I'm just messing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but all right, I do want to have a bear case though. I want to have a bear case for Colin. Yeah. Why Colin over, and it's a good segue into the next few guys here. But why yeah. Colin over Matty Fitz? Okay. Because if you go back and look at all Collins wins, he doesn't have a win where a tournament has went into the twenties. And you just went on record saying you think this win's gonna be minus twenty-four, minus twenty-five. So I guess at these guys similarly priced, what led you to Colin over like a guy like Matty Fitz? Right. Um so I other than I, to be a homer. <laughs> no, no, no. I understand your argument. And I think that's probably the main argument that most people will make. If you're making a bear case against Colin, it's that his putter is just not good enough. Uh, routinely enough to keep up with these guys that are going to be shooting seven, eight, maybe nine under par, 10 under par every single day. That's what got him in trouble last year. I mean, he, he, he shot 25 under par and finished T5. You know what I mean? So like he, he just didn't quite pull one up. He just couldn't keep up with the guys like Cam Smith and John Rahm that were gaining six strokes putting. There's just a point in time. Um, 
where I think if, yeah, I think if you, if you told me right now, the winning score was going to be very similar to the last year, like Colin would be a bit of a bad bet. I think Fitzpatrick for me is a little bit of a bad example because he's kind of even worse in that respect than Colin, uh, just because Fitzpatrick, although his putter is better than Morikawa's, he's one of the worst iron players uh, in the entire field. And he's just not, I just don't trust him being capable to hit it close enough for four days to keep up with, to shoot 65 every single day or shoot 66 every single day, whatever, whatever you think it takes to win this week. Right. So um, yeah, Fitzpatrick for me is, is very much a specialist kind of in the way that Sam Burns has kind of pigeonholed himself a little bit for me, just, just currently, obviously these guys are young, they can get better, they can develop. um, And all it takes is one good week for them to prove me wrong. But I think Burns is kind of pigeonholed into being, a guy only to bet at birdie parties, whereas Fitzpatrick's a guy that I only really want to bet when the winning score is going to be minus eight, minus nine, because at those type of golf courses, I think his scrambling ability, his ability to hit fairways off the tee, he's an elite driver of the golf ball, which I think will be a little bit mitigated this week, being one of the more accurate hitters in this field. Um, and then his scrambling ability, like I said, his boogie avoidance tools um, will allow him to, again, gain strokes a lot more efficiently on a field that is – routinely making bogeys and is routinely finding his par versus an event where you're going to have to go out and again, shoot in the mid sixties. Otherwise you're losing strokes to the field um, every single day. So Fitzpatrick, I just don't trust to create enough birdie chances. And uh, for me, unless we just get like a 1% outlier week with his irons, like he's going to have to gain like 12 strokes putting to even be a factor in my opinion. So I like Matty Fitz going forward. I like Matty Fitz as a player, um, but this is like the ultimate bad Matty Fitz spot uh, for me. Um Fair enough. Yeah. I was more looking like in that same range. So even though that yeah. might have been a bad example, I was just I think Tom, Kim, Tom Kim might be your, your argument right there. So I think if you're looking for like elite iron play plus the upside with the putter, I think Tom Kim actually, again, would make your point a lot better because we've seen Tom Kim win two birdie parties already in six months where he's won at Wyndham. I don't know what the winning score was at Wyndham. I think it was around 18, 19 under par, maybe he got to 20. And obviously he won at Striders at like 25 under par. Um, so yeah, he, he's proven Tom Kim's proven he can spike with a putter. He's over a six month sample, the best iron player in this field. Um, the only thing with Tom Kim is the lack of distance and the fact that just his game, at least off the tee, just doesn't correlate at all with this golf course. Um, now I will say to play devil's advocate on that, like we've seen Tom Kim, swing hard when the opportunities present himself. Like I remember at Congaree on a few of those golf holes that were a little bit more wide open, he was able to, he was able to get his ball speed into the kind of the low to mid one seventies, which is, I mean, pretty comparable to Colin Collins more in like the 175, 176 range, I think. Um, and so I think personally, the distance argument might be a little bit flimsy for, for Tom Kim. I think he's maybe getting, going a little bit under the radar, um, especially at a price like, he was like 25, 28 to one. I'm seeing drift maybe to 22 now. So maybe he's getting a little bit more, more pressed than I originally thought. But um, yeah, I think Kim certainly has uh, a lot of upside here. If he plays to his potential and he's able to get his bearings on these greens, like I, I've said, I said it in the offseason podcast. I, I don't think there's anyone better on the PJ tour um, on like a 425 yard par four than Tom Kim. So if he can take care of the par fives and find a way to kind of, again, grind out fours on those holes and the longer holes. Um, I think if this comes down to a scoring fest on the short par fours, like this is absolutely in his wheelhouse. So um, for me, yeah, I, I definitely, I understand. Um, I'm much, let's just put it, this way. I, I'm much more likely to go to Fitzpatrick to, to Tom Kim than Fitzpatrick this week. If we're talking like the, the others in the 20 to one range. Um, but for me personally, I'm obviously not on him this week. I'm hoping that uh, we see him at Wiley next week because I think Wiley is a very good Tom Kim fit. So um, time will tell. All right. So as we approach kind of our hour, our hour mark here, as we, we what's funny about this for anyone who's still listening, before we started this podcast, Ian was like, this has potentially to be the shortest podcast ever. And I was like, I don't know. Every time we say that, it never ends. <laughs> so here we are. Well, now we're in. Uh, but I really think this is probably the end of where we're going to come anyways. This is probably where you'd have your line of like win equity anyways. Yep. Um, so the last few names you're talking about uh, is Willie Z, Jordan Spieth, 
And we'll throw in Max Homa. Why not? I don't know if, if you would or not, but uh, let's talk about those last three and kind of see what you think. And and if there's anyone else in Zebra that I'm not bringing up either, but there's this, that's where I would draw my line. Yeah. Um, I, I think you've you've made a good tier break here. There's some maybe some names down the board that are good placement bets. I wouldn't necessarily pick them to win. Um, but, yeah, these are interesting names. I think Homa's probably the most interesting to me. Um, I've seen him on a couple of cards. I've seen him in, in like the 40, 45 range of some shops. I think 33 is kind of a bad number, uh, for being completely honest, just for a straight outright bet. Um, but home a sneaky good wedge player inside the top 10 of wedge proximity. We know he can bomb it off the tee. Um, you know, he's he's pretty much just an all-around dude at this point in, in time. He doesn't really have much of a weakness. He's actually the third best putter in this field over the last 50 rounds. Uh, top 10 in bogey and I'm sorry, three putt avoidance, top 10 and par five scoring. Um, you know, birdies are better gain, top 15. So he does everything pretty well. Um, and so I, I kind of understand the 40 to one, 45 to one love on Homa. For me, I know he won at Riviera a couple years ago, but it more so feels like Homa is better suited in these kind of smaller field events. Um, I haven't really seen him have to go up against a guy like a Rom or a JT or a Xander or Cantley, you know, one of these like super top tier players um, and steer them down for the win. I think he has the upside to potentially win this golf tournament, but um, I'm just not quite bullish enough to make the, to make the selection that like, especially not 35 to one, but not 40 or 45 either. Um, Zaltoris for me. I mean, we heard we, you listen to the model. I mean, Zaltoris is, I think my second, yeah, he's my second rated golfer just in terms of pure stats, but you know, it all comes down to off the, uh, off the course stuff with Will. We haven't seen him since the BMW championship where he suffered the herniated disc in his back. Um, and then he's another one kind of like Fitzpatrick in different ways, but kind of like Fitzpatrick, more like kind of like Scheffler, I would say where his ball striking is more suited for a more difficult golf course. Um, he's like, if you want to make the case against Colin that like, Collins never gotten to 20 under par. Like, I don't know. Like, Will's, I mean, Will won at South Lake at, or not South Lake, at South Wind at, what, eight under par against Straka. Um, actually, no, that's not true. He won at, like, 12 or 13 under. Um, but even as, like, his, his runner-up results, U.S. Opens, PJ Championships, the Masters, Top 5 Memorial, Torrey Pines runner-up, you know. So, like, there's a pretty defined kind of, skill set that is required on courses that Will's Outdoors tends to do well on. Um, and, you know, outside of like a fifth place of the Shriners in 2020, he hasn't really um, kind of proven his medal on the PJ Tour on like a birdie fest. So it's kind of a combination for me of bad course fits, um, plus obviously uncertainty with the back, hopefully. I just want to see four rounds of Outdoors with no hiccups. And, you know, if his, if his ball striking looks good, then we'll be getting up for Torrey Pines and for Phoenix and for some of the marquee events coming up in the uh, in the early part of the season. But yeah, this place is, is never a place for, for Zalatoris. And then Spieth, um, a past winner here in 2015, 2016, got to 30 under par to your point earlier. It's just, I don't know. I, I don't envision myself really betting Spieth a whole lot this year. I do think this is a solid course for him just because he's a pretty good wedge player. Um, you would expect him to clean the putter up a little bit compared to last year. I mean, just based on long-term baselines, like that putter in 2022 was like abysmal, um, almost just unfathomably abysmal. Um, picked up a little bit of distance the offseason. I, I actually kind of talked myself into speed a little bit here. I think he can have a good week. Um, do I think he can win against this field? Not not quite. So um, I think he's – it's funny. I'm looking at the odds board now. It's, it's changed actually quite a bit since I made my last bet, but – I mean, more from more Cal Hovland, Young, Fitzpatrick, Tom Kim, Zalator, Spieth, Burns. Like that's twenty to twenty-five right there. There's so many names in that range. And although I think Spieth does present a decent course fits, um, just in terms of like a talent ceiling, I, I think he's a maybe a lap or two behind some of these guys. So, um, yeah, that would be my thoughts on those guys. Uh, if uh, if I was going further down the board for like some placing bets, like I like Russell Henley. I mean, I'm just going to list out guys that um hit their wedges really well and have the upside to make a lot of birdies um henley i think Harmon at 50 to 1 is actually a pretty solid name he's finished uh solo third here in the past um let's see tom hoagie is a guy i've kind of 
outlined a little a couple times, more than a couple times in this podcast as a as a really really solid wedge player. So, yeah, I, again, I think the win equity falls off pretty pretty steeply, pretty drastically. I mean, you look at the the last six winners, eight winners, Island earlier, it's pretty much either been one of the best players in the world or an elite putter. Um, whether it's JT Xander, DJ, um, Spieth, Reed, Cameron Smith, Harris English, who was actually playing quite well in 2021. He was 30 to one to win this golf tournament for, um, for reference. So again, no, no really huge long shots. Just, I think based on the no cut, these guys are guaranteed four rounds and typically, Obviously, over long-term sample size, I think the cream tends to rise to the top. So, um, I think, yeah, for me, the kind of 25, 30 to 1 range is about the deepest I'll entertain and, and outright um, this week. All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Um, so, to kind of recap, uh, if you haven't seen Twitter already, as uh, the card is already posted to Twitter, but we've got uh, JT at 12 to 1, uh, Colin at 25 to 1, and um, Sam Burns at – 30 or 28. I think Ian got him at 30. I got him at 28. So a little, a little difference in numbers there. Um, but yeah, that pretty much rounds out Ian's normal 16, 17 units per week. Um, so that's pretty much where we're going to sit. I don't anticipate live ads. We're just going to kind of ride with the boys here. So a little primetime golf. Um, so <laughs> those of y'all, you know, in the Northeast, the East Coast, where it's, I don't know how cold it is in Charlotte these days, Chris, but it wasn't very pleasant when I was there. Um, it's but yeah. actually pretty warm today, but I think there's a storm. Literally, you probably saw me looking. There's a storm rolling through like right in the second. Oh, and yeah. literally, literally the bottom of my computer says temps to plummet. So, oh, bet <laughs> notifications I, I remember very unfondly uh, from my time in North Carolina. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 like the perfect like starter event. You know, you get to you get little bit of primetime golf when you get off of work five hour time difference between here and here in hawaii so i think coverage starts at like 5 p.m um you know some nice screenshots of the hawaiian coast and uh you know some of the best place in the world playing for an elevated prize pool i think 15 million total prize pool i think over two and a half goes to the winner so a lot higher stakes than we're used to in the past here at kapalua so should be fun uh got a few of the favorites on the card and Let's hope to spike a little winner here, man. Get the 2023 off to a, to a nice start. Absolutely. I mean, hey, we hit Daytona 500 last year. That was the first event for me. So let's flip it this year. <laughs> hit the first event for you. Start out on start out in the green for the, for the new year. So with that being said, guys, we will uh, close out for the week. Um, stay tuned for not on this podcast, but I think I'll be joining Full Take Phil on his podcast next week for some NASCAR offseason talks. So it's, it's he's doing a silly season episode so you know yeah. there we are so um, get ready for three hours <laughs> yeah. the, the one episode where chris sound where chris talks like rory whatever like silly season's involved you know, it's, <laughs> it's just discussions for as long as they can handle it um but yeah with that being said uh we'll be back next week with more golf and hopefully talking to winner see you guys see you guys